Good morning, morning. Good morning. Well, my name's Rich, as Steph just mentioned. Um, it's lovely to have you all with us. Um, those of you that haven't met, it's wonderful f- uh, to have you here. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just going to be opening up um, God's Word together. Um, so we've been in a series as a church looking at um, the life of David. Um, so we've been working through a series looking at specific instances in David's life um, where um, he encounters different things. Um, we've looked at a whole variety of things. All of our sermons are on the website um, if you want to uh, catch up with where we're up to. Um, but essentially where we find ourselves um, at this point in the story um, is basically David has... Um, he's basically been sought out by uh, this guy called Samuel, um, who was a prophet. Um, and uh, Samuel sought him out, um, found him, anointed him as king. Um, and then it probably, well, it did take several, several years um, for that to actually come to pass. Um, and we've seen lots of challenges along the way. Um, so David, the very famous story, David and Goliath. Um, we've seen um, who was the current king, Saul, um, trying to get rid of um, David and hunting him down and things, and David having to flee into the wilderness, the whole time carrying some of these promises of being God's king, having been anointed king. Um, And then uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at essentially um, David uh, essentially travels up, uh, conquers Jerusalem, um, and he's going to make this his home. He's going to make this the city. Um, And... uh, as Alice shared last week, um, he's just brought the covenant, um, the Ark of the Covenant, which was this holy um, uh, artifact, really, where the stone tablets of the law, um, if you know your Jewish history, were given to Moses um, centru- uh, millennia before um, and has been finally brought up into Jerusalem. So now David has been established as king um, over God's people, the Israelites. Um, he's brought um, this uh, Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the Ark that represents God's presence. So now he's brought the presence of God into, um, uh, right into the centre, really, of his kingdom. Um, and David constantly uses this term that he's a servant, that he's a prince um, of the king, recognising uh, God's lordship um, and God's government over um, the Israelites. And kind of that's where we find ourselves at this point. We're going to jump in at 2 Samuel um, chapter 7, if you've got a Bible. And so with all of that uh, kind of by way of build up, we jump in um, at this point. Uh, and I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 um, in chapter 7, and I'll read through to verse 17. Um, It will come up behind me, uh, if you can see that. Wonderful. Um, Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night... The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, 
from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I took away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, you speak powerfully through your word. Um, And Lord, whatever I say, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would breathe your life into it. Lord, we just want to come and uh, come under your word. Lord, we want to be guided by your word. We want to be instructed by your word, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you would uh, use this passage to uh, help us, to sharpen us, to equip us um, today, Lord, that we would live lives that continue and increasingly glorify you, Lord, in all that we do. Amen. Amen. So it's quite a long passage. So what's going on in the passage? Well, as I mentioned, um, David has now established his throne, if you like, so his lordship in um, Jerusalem. He's kind of put himself there. He's now king in Jerusalem, um, and he's brought the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark uh, essentially traveled with God's people wherever they went. Um, They've been fairly nomadic up until um, they had uh, a a land to call their own, if you like. But even then, they've not really had a center of power, if you like. Saul... Um, was um, a king just before David who who had great promises and lots of good starts, but then kind of quite quickly during his lifetime kind of turned away um, from God in his heart. And we just kind of saw, saw his um, kingdom start to crumble a little bit before it was then passed over to David. But essentially God's been traveling in this ark, which represents his presence, in a tent with the Israelites, wherever they've been um, on what has been a fairly nomadic journey um, up until this point. And Right at the beginning of our passage, Nathan, um, who's uh, one of the uh, prophets close to Daniel, um, um, close to David, um, says to him, great, go for it. The God's with you. Do all the, do go for it. Just um, build him a house. Build him something that represents him. Um, and he said, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. He recognizes that God has appointed David, that God has blessed David, God has established David. And if you like, this is a bit of a pinnacle um, of, of Jewish history. This is kind of, if you like, the Old Testament kind of climaxes with the Israelites being established as God's people and David, their great king. And so it would only be fitting then for David to think, well, now, you know, let's build a temple. Let's build somewhere to house the presence of God amongst his people. Um, and then Nathan uh, 
goes to sleep. And that same night, um, the word of the Lord comes to him. Um, and basically, where Nathan has given him the green light and said, go for it. Um, God's with you. Um, God then comes and speaks to Nathan and says, just hold on a minute. Um, and God basically says to him, um, I, I, I've, never, I've never asked for you to build me something like this. I've never, I've never imposed that upon you. Um, but God sees something of David's heart, and he just loves it. He thinks it's wonderful. God hasn't said to David, now build me a temple. Um, and perhaps that's why he used um, Nathan the prophet um, to speak to him. But God basically says that I, I never asked for this. And actually, God seeing David's heart seems to then have an overflow by way of response. Um, God kind of sees David's heart and says, I love your heart. I love your passion for my name. I love your passion for my presence. I love the way you serve me and love me and serve my people. Um, and God almost on the flip side says, you're not not going to build the house. He's like, I, I, I haven't asked for a house up till this point, and I'm not going to ask for a house from you. Um, and then God kind of turns it on its head. Um, and we see from uh, verses nine onwards, really. Um, now, therefore, you shall say to my servant Dave from verse eight. Um, and then God just launches into this in- incredible blessing, um, this incredible what we call covenant. Um, he makes promises to David. He makes incredible promises to David. Um, and they're not just small promises either. These are promises that seem to span eternity. They go on forever. You know, the amount of times that God references your, your kingdom will be established forever. You know, and so this isn't just a one-time thing. This isn't God just blessing David. This is God blessing David, blessing his descendants, blessing the Israelites, blessing his household, blessing essentially, if you like, the dynasty that came after David um, and, and all of those that came after him. It's an incredible outpouring um, of promises that God makes to David. Um, and so what, what is a covenant? Well, as I just mentioned, it's a promise. It's a promise that you enter into. So probably the most common form of covenant that we have uh, today would be the covenant of marriage, uh, where, where husband and wife make promises to one another, um, and they give themselves to one another in such a way that say, I'm going to keep and maintain and hold on to these promises for your good, for your benefit, um, and, and, and they share in that unity of covenant. Um, it's not quite the same as we see in this case um, in that uh, God, whenever God seems to make covenants, it's always, from, it's always from God to the person. There isn't, if you like, this mutual coming together. It's not like God says, I'm going to make these promises. And then David goes, great, I'm going to make these promises. God makes these promises. And then, if you like, David has an opportunity to either step into and accept and receive those promises and what we call assent to those promises or dissent to turn away to actually not go um, by those promises and actually if you like reject in a way those promises that God's made to them Um, and so that's essentially what's happening it's not quite a mutual um, covenant actually it's very much top down God is making promises um, to David um, that are going to span eternity And so what does God then covenant? What does God then promise um, to David? Um, Well, there's a few things that he promises. In verses uh, 8 and 9, just quickly, he says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you. 
And so David has basically been taken. He was um, a shepherd, as we heard about several weeks ago. He was a shepherd boy um, in the house of Jesse, uh, was his father. Samuel came. In fact, David was the youngest brother. Um, He wasn't even considered important enough to initially be introduced to Samuel. Um, He was out tending the sheep while all the others brothers went in. Um, And so David has kind of been living a fairly obscure life as a bit of a shepherd boy. um, And yet God has basically brought him from that obscurity and brought him center stage. He's transformed his life. Literally, he's transformed his life. He was a shepherd boy and now he is king over Israel. He is prince um, of Israel, as God uh, says to him. And more than that, he says, I will make you one of the great, I will make your name like the name of one of the great ones of the earth. Wow, that's not just, that's not just king over a people, that is being listed with like rulers of incredible significance, incredible power that have spanned history. People that we would point back to in history and say, hey, they were a good person. They had great character, they had great testimony. And I guess the fact that we're talking about him even today is probably testament to that that actually his name is one of the great ones um, of the earth. And then what's the second thing that he promises? Well, he promises, um, verses 10 and 11, um, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time... uh, that I appointed judges over my people, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. There's rest that comes. There's peace that comes. And so where we see this, if you like, um, David's, David's uh, as he's journeyed with the Israelites, they've kind of been oppressed the whole time by various different people. We even saw a couple of weeks ago when David was looking to take Jerusalem, he was mocked um, by those, and then David took Jerusalem, um, and God basically brought them through um, in victory in an incredible way. And where we see all of this um, affliction and things, God is bringing peace. God is bringing peace into the midst of it, and he's establishing his people, um, and they will be disturbed no more. He's going to give them rest from their enemies. Um, And then the last thing uh, that I want to pick up on, um, there's loads in here, but the last thing that I want to pick up on is really from verse um, 11 or so. Moreover, the Lord declares um, to you that the Lord will make your house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. This is talking about David's son. Um, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And so God makes this incredible promise. He says, your household are going to become my household. God basically steps in and says, says, after you, after you, your children, your household, I'm going to step in and they're going to be like sons to me. They're going to be like my household. I'm going to bring them right in um, and I'm going to create for you this incredible family, this dynasty that will continue on. Um, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. I, I would imagine David was probably kind of listening to this thinking, oh my goodness. The shepherd boy, who has been now been made prince over Israel, 
He's been established the rightful king. And God is saying, I'm going to bring you into my family. You are going to be like, you are going to be my household. Um, it's an incredible promise um, that God makes. And, and like I said right at the beginning, it's not a one-time deal. It's not like God says, yeah, great, brilliant, done. This is forever. This, this, this spans the time that we are living in now. God says, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to establish your household um, forever. So I guess we have to ask the question then, um, has this been fulfilled? We have to ask the question, has what uh, God promised to David in these uh, 17 verses or so, has it been fulfilled? Has it actually come to pass? Has that actually um, established and what's happened? Well, we know that David's name has been made by like, one of the great ones. That's why we're here. Um, we see that actually there were moments of peace. Uh, David's kingdom, um, once he was established king, was relatively peaceful. Um, however, it's not long afterwards, a couple of generations, that actually we start to see some pretty big turmoil coming in. Um, and um, it doesn't sound like much of a dynasty once we get into the genealogy. Once we start looking um, at the history, um, I'd love us to turn quickly to 1 Corinthians 11. Um, it'll come up on the... Uh, screen behind me, Um, 1 Corinthians 11 um, from verse 9 uh, to 13. Uh, Well, it will come up behind me. Um, 1 Kings Kings 11, is that what I said? Oh, I apologise, I said Corinthians. Um, 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11, I apologise. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. So Solomon is David's son. Um, so the one that God said, your son is going to build my house. Um, and so he said, the Lord was angry with Solomon um, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and, he, and had commanded him concerning that, this thing, that he should not go for other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. That doesn't sound particularly successful. It doesn't sound like these promises that God's made are continuing forever and into eternity. Actually, what we see for Solomon is actually by the end of his life, um, the household isn't in a good way. It's not in a great shape. It's, God's going to tear the kingdom from him. Um, it, it doesn't sound particularly peaceful, um, this, the, the, this idea of kind of having your kingdom stripped of you um, and David's descendants kind of basically um, essentially messing it up. And I think it's easy for us to kind of look at this happening almost, you know, nearly 3,000 years ago and say, well, goodness me, I, I I don't, I'm glad I didn't do that. I'm glad I'm not that bad. I'm glad I don't you know, fall into that category. But actually, I think the more I read about it, the more I think, actually, these were guys that just made bad decisions one after another after another. And actually, when you search your own heart, you, know, you start to realize that actually, I could probably do some of those things myself. 
I could probably end up in a pretty tricky situation. I could probably end up, um, if you like, forsaking some of those promises that God's made. And I could, I could put myself in that camp. So it's really important that we don't kind of get um, all ha- um, haughty about it, but actually we understand ourselves and who we are, knowing that actually we are probably no better than David's house. And where we might point at certain things and decisions that they made, that's, you know, that's right and true, um, but that, that's not to say that we probably wouldn't make those same mistakes. Um, as well and so then how is this promise then going to be fulfilled how is this going to be worked out because it's looking pretty bleak for David and his household Um, but I want to I want to point to um, another descendant of David um, in Luke 1 Uh, if we jump to Luke 1 um, verses 30 to 33 this is Jesus So Jesus is a descendant of David. We follow it. We track it through the years. Nearly 900 years later, um, Jesus comes after David. This is generations later. So the Israelites have been carried off into exile. Um, A lot of those promises seem to have fallen by the wayside um, and seem to have uh, just been either, either forgotten about, forsaken and lost, or just disregarded and you can imagine as a people with some of these promises starting to think to themselves what is going on we were promised great things we were promised a house that would be established forever we were promised peace from our enemies we were promised a dynasty what's going on and i want to show you how jesus if you like um, exemplifies some of these attributes and actually then fulfills and equips the promises um, for us to be able to live in light of that so first of all, just as David had his identity transformed. Well, let's, let's read first. Let's read first. So we'll read from Luke 1, um, verses 30 um, to 33. So uh, Mary, who is a virgin, um, has a visitation from an angel. Um, if you've been to church at Christmas time, uh, you've probably heard this story. Um, and the angel um, comes to Mary um, and said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, given a name. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 32, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. So you've got David and his descendants basically messed it up. They forsook the promises. And Jesus, who is God incarnate, who is God in the flesh, who is God become man, the word made flesh, Jesus is going to be held up as the true David. He's a true descendant of David. He's part of David's household. And where David's immediate descendants messed up, forsook the promises, God actually is going to raise up Jesus and he's going to take the throne of David and he's going to marry the two. And Jesus is going to be given the throne of David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, Jesus throughout his life had his identity transformed. He was, we read that he was born um, in pretty humble circumstances. He was born in a stable. Um, he was born um, to not particularly important um, parents, not particularly seemingly um, 
had any particular um, social standing or status. Um, but actually, Jesus, throughout his life, we see this growing um, name, if you like. Name, by name, I mean reputation. Um, that, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called Son of the Most High. And it says in Philippians 2, if we jump there quickly, from verse um, 7 onwards, it says, um, but so talking about Jesus, she said he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you see, when Jesus died on the cross, there was, there was a humbling that took place. Jesus stepped down um, and he took on all of that sin, all of that wrongdoing. He paid that price where, where David's household had messed up, where they basically turned away from God. Jesus didn't. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, verse 9, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus undergoes this transformation where he's hung on the cross as essentially a common criminal and trumps up charges, an innocent man, dead. But actually, what we see a few days later, Jesus raises to new life, and Paul articulates it so well, that God has exalted him, has lifted him up, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That, that is a kingdom. That is a throne. That is a place of glory. That is a place of reverence. Um, that is Jesus being seated on David's throne right there. And actually throughout his life, Jesus finds peace. Jesus finds peace. If you look um, throughout um, the four accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospels, um, you see that where things would try and creep in and, and try and attack and um, crush and destroy and tear down, actually Jesus finds peace um, in the midst of them. And we see this even in um, his trial, where he's basically brought before a crowd that are all chanting to crucify him. He's beaten, he's whipped, he's flogged, he's, he's, he's essentially, um, his flesh is pretty much destroyed. Um, and yet this is what the prophet Isaiah says about him. In Isaiah 53, it won't come up behind me. Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shearers are silent, so he did not open his mouth. In the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this affliction, in the midst of this um, trouble, he finds peace. And then finally, um, he's established a dynasty, as we read about in Luke 1. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's what we live in. 
this, that's the circumstances we find ourselves, that actually we live uh, in a time where Jesus is now ruling and reigning. And if you like at the cross, what, God has, what Jesus has done um, is he defeated sin. He defeated death by rising again. So that actually now he has what we call ushered in um, a new covenant. So he's ushered in the new covenant that was promised millennia ago to David. And he said, this, this is going to be my kingdom. And so what does that mean for us as believers? What does that mean for us um, who have come and put our trust in Jesus? Um, or perhaps you've not put your trust in Jesus. Um, but what does that mean for us now living in 21st century London? Well, it means that actually we are given a new identity. We are transformed. We have been transformed. It says that um, in 2 Corinthians, it says that in Christ we have become a new creation. By putting our faith and our trust in Jesus and his accomplishing work on the cross, we've become new creations. And it says that we're no longer individuals, but we're now members of his body. So he's, he's brought us into his household, his royal household. Um, and so actually what that means is, and we, we, we sang about it a little bit earlier, that actually what I do what I say, how I live my life impacts brothers and sisters because now we are members of God's household. We are brothers and sisters um, when we are found in Christ. It also means that we can find true peace in the midst of storms. In Philippians, uh, it says in chapter 4 that... um, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think you'd probably attest to the fact that many people around us live pretty frantic lives. They live pretty hectic lives. There's, there's a lack of peace. There is a distinct lack of peace in our generation, in this nation. There, there's just, it's almost tangible, um, but we've, people have lost their peace. Um, and, God, and it says in um, Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So what do we do as believers? What do we do when we're tempted to lose our peace? What do we do when we're tempted to give up and just kind of just go and hide in the cave somewhere? Um, what, do, what do we do when we're tempted to kind of throw it all in well actually by prayer and supplication we come back to God and we just say Lord I'm, I'm giving it to you I'm giving this circumstance to you I'm giving this family relationship to you I'm giving this horrible boss to you I'm giving this difficult neighbour to you I'm handing it over to you by prayer and supplication there's a transaction that happens we come we give it to God and his peace is then given to us his peace is then um, out, made to, is then worked out in us. That peace that transcends understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, we very often we want we want a shortcut. Just tell me what to do to fix it. Prayer and supplication. That that's it. Prayer and supplication. And the peace of God which transcends understanding. Right, We come, prayer and supplication, we say, God, I hand this over to you. I'm looking for you to bring peace. I'm looking for you to bring um, joy. I'm looking for you to come and redeem this situation um, for your glory. And then lastly, we're now part of God's kingdom. 
we now come under that family name. We are now brought into, if you like, God's dynasty, where Jesus has been seated on that throne of David. He now has been given rule, dominion, authority, and we, as his children, are brought into that. We, as his royal household, um, are given um, a new family name. We're given um, a dynasty that will continue um, forever. And just as God brought David into his household and Jesus has been established on David's throne, we are brought into um, this incredible dynasty, this incredible family um, of God that will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And finally, it doesn't quite end there. Because as, as you know, as I know, we probably uh, don't see all of these things worked out every day of our lives. The fact that we still hit difficult times, the fact that we still lose our peace, um, the fact that we might say the wrong thing, the fact that we um, might uh, have a, I don't know, a, say something offensive, say something rude, say something out of turn, um, the fact that we would do things that actually don't honour and don't live up to that family name. But actually, just as we sang about, there is a day coming when Jesus will return and he will establish his kingdom. In Ephesians, it says that we are transformed to be holy and blameless before him. Right? That we're going to be presented holy and blameless before him, one degree of glory to another. And when Jesus returns, we will find peace, we'll descend. We'll find rest from enemies. We'll find things that war against our soul, as Paul sometimes calls it. Um, we'll find peace from those things. We'll actually find that actually God will establish um, his kingdom and his name will be lifted high. His throne will be exalted. His throne will be over all. And so what I'd love us to do, um, I'd love us to gather back together um, to sing. I'd love us to, uh, if the band could come up, um, why don't we stand to our feet? I feel like God just wants to pinpoint two things. I think... Um, if you are not a believer here today, um, if you would say that you haven't put your faith and your trust in Jesus, um, then I would, I would encourage you to do that. I would ask you to consider that. What does that look like? That looks like coming before him, saying, Jesus, I recognize that what you accomplished on that cross dealt with my sin, paid a debt that I never could, that just like David's descendants, I messed it up. I did my own thing. I turned to my own way. But actually, I want to come and I want to come in submission to you and I want to receive your lordship in my life and I want everything to fall under in, in submission to your kingship, to your lordship. I want your throne to live and be exalted in my life. That's what it means to become a Christian, to say, Lord, your throne is going to reign over my life. And I would encourage you, if you do want to do that, either speak to the person that brought you or come and chat to Steph or myself. Um, we'd love to be able to pray with you, um, talk with you as you journey um, through that. But second of all, I really felt like as I was preparing, God just kind of highlighted this peace thing. Um, God, God we, live, we live in a frenetic society. By nature, it pulls you in all different directions and all at the same time. And I just felt God just pinpoint and just say, God's kingdom looks different. 
for God's name to be glorified, it looks different. It looks different to our friends that are trying to climb that career ladder. It looks different um, to relationships that are broken. It looks different to people that won't talk to each other because of um, bad conversations or, or bad relationship. It looks different. God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And peace isn't the absence of war, if you like. It's not the absence of that. But actually, it's finding peace in the midst of it. God wants to bring his peace um, to people. I'm going to pray. Um, Once I've prayed, please feel free as we begin to sing to take the bread and the wine. Um, We'd love to do that um, in community together. Um, We'd love to... um, They're just down at the front, either side. Uh, Maybe one or two. Just grab one or two next to you and just say, hey, let's take bread and wine together. Um, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your throne, Lord, that has been established. Lord, we thank you for that incredible, incredible truth, Lord, that that throne of David, Lord, you've assumed, um, Lord, David's household, Lord, and all of those covenantal promises that you made to David come to pass and are fulfilled in Jesus. Lord, thank you, God, that we can have such confidence in you. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to the future with hope. Lord, we can look to the future with confidence, knowing that when you come again, Lord, that you will put everything that is slightly out of place for you. Lord, you'll put it right. Lord, thank you that you will bring justice. Lord, thank you that you will establish your throne, Lord, forever. Lord, and thank you that we live in this in-between time, Lord, but just whatever we're facing, whatever circumstance, Lord, we just bring and submit it to you. Lord, and we just ask you to have your kingship, your lordship over it, for you to reign, for you to be glorified in us and through us. Lord, we thank you that we've been created by you and for you. And Lord, we want to be those that don't live according to the world. Lord, we want to be those that live according to the promises of your throne being established forever. And Jesus, we just look to you and we glorify you with all that we are. Amen.